Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the movers and shakers of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grow With Us is a podcast that highlights the work of In Tulsa and informs you about the exciting and innovative work being done around the city by its best and brightest. In Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. This week, we're in conversation with Dr. Laura Lada, the Executive Director of the Tulsa Higher Education Consortium. Welcome, Dr. Lada. It's so great to have you on. Thank you so much, Evan. It's so good to be here. I Yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. Laura and I met a couple of weeks ago um, when she was giving a talk to our team kind of about what your organization does. And I just reached out and I was like, this is someone I have to talk to uh, solo <laughs> and with a mic in front of you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And I so enjoy your show. I thank you. can't say enough good about it. Thank you. We have almost been at it for a year, which is crazy. Wow. Congrats. Jesse made a crazy face. I was like, yeah, July is when we released our first episode. So we probably were in June now for the time the time warp podcasters if anybody likes to keep track of that but we're almost at a year so our one year episode special episode coming up soon stay tuned hey, congratulations <laughs> thank you it's yeah it's crazy to think about it's crazy to think about anything being a year old yeah. <laughs> yeah. so dr lotta let's talk about we have lots of things we're going to talk about today i'm really excited for this conversation but let's get to know you a little bit do you mind telling us your story and really whatever way you feel comfortable Sure, absolutely. Well, I have grown up in Tulsa for my entire life. I like to joke, but I'm actually very serious that I've grown up, worked, gone to school in the same five square miles for my entire life. I have traveled, but I have have grown up and, and have fallen in love with Tulsa as a student, as a professional, as a teacher. Um, and the various identities that I hold. I have four siblings. Three of them also grew up in Tulsa, and we each had very different trajectories and experiences, but three of the four of us are still in Tulsa or have returned to Tulsa after leaving. Yeah. That's so fun. I mean, at least at least you have your family. Like yeah. that's not even at least, but it's so fun to have your family sometimes. Like yes. especially with, hope, hopefully you all get along. <laughs> yes, we do get along. I'm that's awesome. Happy to report we do get along. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah, so really the the as I was reflecting on my own story over the past few weeks, education has been a thread that's run through all of it. Mm -hmm. So I've been really fortunate to, like I said, I, I went to early childhood. I start, I, I went to daycare. My mom was a single mom um, and was in daycare, early childhood education, elementary, high school, college, and graduate programs all in Tulsa. So I've wow. truly seen and am kind of a walking testimony of the fact that you know, uh, a success story of education in Tulsa. And I'm thrilled now to be working in higher education um, as the executive director of the Tulsa Higher Education Consortium. And then I'm also a, a professor um, of education. I 
started my career as a teacher. And I taught fourth grade, kindergarten, and first grade in union public schools. And um, what shaped that journey so much for me was my own experiences with teachers and the profound impact that they'd had on my life. Um, And I fell in love with education. I wanted to figure out this big system that I, you know, what I had heard about being a teacher and being in the education system was that it was underfunded. And I didn't understand what does that mean? What are the implications of that? And then when I became a teacher, I fell in love with mm-hmm. the dynamics of, of teaching students and seeing those aha moments where, where they learn something new and, and their lives are, are impacted the way that mine was. And then in sort of that journey to find out more about, higher, about education in general, I started my master's at OU Tulsa. And that was where I really learned about how to think critically about some of our systems and, mm-hmm. and things like maybe inequities in education and, and different dynamics in, in the education systems that we have in our, in our nation and, and in our state. And then that love of trying to figure out education continued as I got my doctorate in instructional leadership. And I'm still trying to figure out the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I know that, that that's kind of I think it sounds like that's what you're sharing. The sentiment is that it's so fun to continue to solve not the same problem, but like different versions of the same problem. And and the impact of solving that problem is, is going to be huge. Education is such a fun puzzle to kind of dive in and, and see where you can make an impact. So I, I, I totally resonate with that. Yeah, it's complex. And you know what's interesting about this journey that we call life at different moments, you have a different vantage point into mm-hmm. it um, as a student or teacher or um, a parent of a child who's a student in the, in the education system. So having those different identities along the way has shaped my perspective and my story in Tulsa. But I am a proud, yeah. proud Tulsan. I love Tulsa and I am just so excited for all of the incredible things that are happening in Tulsa right yeah. now. So. That's awesome. Now, I, I think one of the things you just talked about that I wanted to touch on it too is like the vantage point of your perspective in in education is so right on because if you think about like every year of us as you're I guess aging up in the school system you think about things differently you're you're able to to process things differently I mean I feel like I had a a weird moment in my like self-realization or whatever when I was eight years old because I had moved schools and I was like oh this is the first time like moving schools like made a big impact on me and there are some kids that don't go to the same school for like every year they change like just a ma- like that little example and then changing middle schools and then having to apply to a high school is like all of those different things like made me think about how the system plays it um and it's so interesting like then going to college where you meet literally someone from every different type of school system it's just it's so not a universal experience but it but it is in mm-hmm. a weird way um, I have a lot of thoughts about education and I will definitely digress. <laughs> I'll try to keep us on task, but I, I'm very passionate about this. And so we could talk forever, um, yeah. which is fun. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I could too. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of, so kind of building off your last point um, about Tulsa, I would love to hear more about like what your relationship with uh, the city has been like over time. You're, I know you've mentioned that you're definitely integrated and uh, well connected with the city, but Kind of talk about how the relationship has ebbed and flowed over the past couple of years. Yeah. So 
largely my experience has been enormously positive. Although having grown up in Tulsa, there are definitely moments where I didn't fully appreciate the city that I was a part of. Um, also, it's been interesting to see Tulsa grow and evolve over time. Um, when I was a kid, gosh, I must have been like five or six and mm. my my dad taking me to the building where there was an ice skating rink. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I have a storied history here in Tulsa that really actually began before me. So my my grandparents moved here from Tennessee with the attract my my grandfather had gotten a job at Oral Roberts University. And so there was a, a big spiritual sort of draw for my family to come to the city. Mm-hmm. And that was at ORU's founding. And you know, my both of my parents met at ORU and then I it was sort of a, like a legacy thing. I also also went to ORU um, and that's where I got my undergrad education degree. And there have been moments in my Tulsa experience, like I said, where I just really didn't see all that Tulsa had to offer because mm. I was looking at a very narrow slice of my experience. But yeah. now that I'm a, an adult and I'm a professional and I'm working, I've studied and um, and really getting engaged with some of the incredible initiatives and, and organizations that are popping up all over Tulsa. I just feel so enormously grateful. I also feel grateful for that history that I've yeah. had to really appreciate where Tulsa's been and where it's headed. And there's, I would say, you know, in the last 10 years, there's just been an incredible boom of innovation, new ideas. And it's it's just exciting to be be a Tulsan. Yeah, I I definitely resonate with kind of those m- memories of of a place before it looked like what it does now. Like, and I think Tulsa. I have a specific, or I don't know if I have a specific Tulsa example, but I I feel that way with Tulsa too. Of like when I first moved here, granted I was like ten. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do I remember from my childhood? That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole therapy <laughs> session. But I, I do feel like you're just, it, it kind of goes back to maybe what I was saying earlier, of just like you're able to perceive things differently. You're able to interact with the city more. Like I, a lot of my memories of being a child was like walking to and from school because that was like something I got to do as my like independent activity. And I was the only one that went to my elementary school and my family. So like, and it was walking distance. So mm-hmm. I don't know, like, so I like know this like weird back alley or not back alley, but like this like park entrance through that I would go through and then take a pedestrian bridge to cross Harvard and then walk into the neighborhood where my school is. That pedestrian bridge is not there anymore. So oh. thinking like when I try by it, I'm like, they don't want people walking anymore. What does that mean? Like I literally go down the paths of like thinking about things that affect. Well, obviously, like that experience is like something that affected me because I did it all the time. But it's just it's just interesting to take little moments and see how if you return to, I guess, your snapshot of what that memory was like, like it can, that can't exist anymore unless unless I can walk across Harvard in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be like uh, that. Like, I won't be able to emulate that experience anymore. Well, OK, the point being that there are lots of different places in Tulsa that I have memories from different points in my life, whether that was as a a young, young child and and a lot of nostalgic times, but then also as somebody who was learning who their identity was as an adolescent and then 
somebody who was going to college and that interesting life phase where you're sort of discovering yourself and your future. And now I'm a mom and I have a toddler who I take to the same park that I played at when I was his age. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I've been personally going on kind of a journey that Tulsa is is a main character and I would say is, is like understanding where your community is or and really where you belong. So and I this is something I talked about in a therapy session the other day. Um was about like belonging in Tulsa. It's it's interesting to me that I feel like two simultaneous facts can exist for me. I feel like I belong in Tulsa, but there's but Tulsa is is like a very wide. Um, I mean, it's it's a big city. It's a city. Mm-hmm. Um, so feeling like I belong here is like saying I belong in Oklahoma, which is like a whole state. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I don't necessarily know where I fit in or belong in as we zoom in more. And so that's like something that I love hearing people's answers to kind of like what communities and and what where did you feel like you belong type of thing. And so I guess the the, the official question that I would love to hear your kind of thoughts on is. How have specific communities in Tulsa impacted you both personally and professionally? Because I think that it's it's fair to say for you that probably both are the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned that kind of a common thread through my life's journey um, is education, but specifically, you know, the role that teachers played in shaping my life. And um, I had so many wonderful teachers through elementary school and beyond middle school and high school. And I felt such a sense of belonging in the schools that I attended. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, when it was time for me to make a decision about my future, my initial reaction was, well, I'm going to be a nurse because I heard that nurses make a lot of money. Um, and I think that's, I, I didn't have a lot of, um, support or advising, but I was like, I'm going to start it as an, as, as nursing, as a nurse. Yeah. And I have an enormous, enormous amount of respect for my friends and colleagues who are nurses, but I learned quickly that that wasn't, um, actually the, the trajectory that I was going to be on. I think I had Mm. my first class and blood (laughs) <laughs> kind of makes me a little squeamish. So I, yeah. I learned pretty quickly on that. That wasn't the right path. But I I realized after I changed my major probably three or four times that it was education and the teachers who made such a powerful impact on my life mm-hmm. that I wanted to go back to and I wanted to be a part of and to continue to be a part of schools that were shaping the lives and the trajectories of students And so I would say the education community has been uh, really formative. Um, So I said, you know, I mentioned I I taught for five years and it was the most wonderful, rewarding, but also the hardest, most difficult, most involved job that I've ever had. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I... (laughs) I was that statistic that I was the person who taught for five years and then I had to leave the classroom because it was such a hard emotionally, physically, mentally, in every capacity, such a hard job. Yeah. Um, And so I moved into community school coordinating. And that's where I started learning about the intersection of business and industry Mm. and education and how powerful it can be when businesses and organizations partner with schools. And empower, um, whether that's 
by showing up, physical presence or, or financial support can really help schools to, to grow and to thrive. And I actually studied that for my dissertation. I, I looked at how partnerships with out-of-school time organizations help students develop 21st century skills and attitudes toward STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math. And um, I just kept following this path down the intersection at that that intersection of of business and education. And mm. there's some there's really fruitful opportunity, I believe, whenever we look at how you know some innovative ways that education, whether that's K-12 or higher ed and business and industry can intersect even before a student graduates from high school or college. 100%. Oh, I like thinking about that makes me excited because it's I, I always I don't always go back to this, but something I go back to is just that like the something we talked about at the very beginning, like schools are under, underfunded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess who isn't underfunded businesses? <laughs> like <laughs> Literally, it, it sounds like a, a match made in heaven, even though I, I, I think it is important to encourage, I mean, my my kind of complex anti-capitalism like brain is also thinking like businesses shouldn't be in school so we can learn to cr- think critically about their them as a system, just as we would want to be critical of education as a system. But I digress from that point. <laughs> I do think that it is a, an amazing opportunity, kind of like you're saying, um, because it gives kids access to stuff it, it like and stuff being things that can be career paths stuff being things that like could help with spark any interest mm-hmm. like I, I just think that that's such an it's such a valid uh hopefully partnership that we need we need more of it and i and i want our schools to get it there's a lot of things that stand in the way of it i'm i'm presuming and i'm sure you found out from your research that maybe maybe there's someone out there some organization that doesn't want businesses in schools because it does X, Y, or Z. Like there, it, it feels, and that could be politics. Who knows? It's just interesting to kind of interrogate that. Like kind yeah. of why, why I, I think the schools are a great example of taking something and being like, why isn't this the answer? And then peeling back the curtain and, and finding out that there's a lot of reasons why. And sometimes yeah. those reasons are noble or not so noble. <laughs> yeah. You know, that makes me think about the partnership that we had and and just presence and exposure to possibility. And I don't know who used this quote the first time, but there's that quote, you, you know, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And so kids and students and adult learners who have experience and exposure with what the possibilities are for their futures, in my mind, is an immensely positive thing. Yeah. So we had at the school where I was working as community school coordinator, there was a business that provided funding for out-of-school time programs. And students were able to participate in things like, you know, c- computer coding. And the um, employees of that business came and helped teach yeah. some of those coding programs. And so that was just the coolest thing to see students making a connection to a real life person who has a real life job doing this real life, really cool thing that they're they're engaged in. So there are some very cool, practical ways 
that 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 synergy of education and business can really happen. Yeah, we okay, I just thought of a specific example that I can tell you about and it's honestly a hilarious story. We did um in elementary school we went to Biztown mm-hmm. for I think Junior Achievement is the sponsoring organization mm-hmm. for that. And think about me now and then think about me as a 9-year-old. <laughs> They're not that much different. Uh, I'm just a little more sure of myself now. And all of the teacher, I, I like, they gave you a list of the jobs that you wanted to do. Um, you could work like with Cox Media Company and doing media production. There's obviously like firemen and they kind of do, they kind of do kids stuff and then also like actual business things. And I saw like news reporter and I was, those are the people that I see on TV all the time. It's like, oh, of course I want to be a news reporter. Come yeah. on. And I was like, I have the I have the perfect personality for a news reporter. I love to talk. Yes. <laughs> that was my qualification as like a nine year old. And I remember the day like they posted the jobs for when we were going to go next week. And I went and looked and I saw my name and then I looked to the left and it said CEO of Cox. And I was like, literally started crying. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to be the CEO. I want to be the news reporter. Like literally went to my mom and cried. And I think that we had a, I had to have a conversation with the teacher and they were like, you know, that that's like the boss. Right. And I was like, no, (laughs) of course I didn't know what a CEO meant, but like, it was just, I don't know necessarily what the, there was a lot, there's a lot of things we could extrapolate from that. Um, Unless there's a teleprompter, my heart's not in it. <laughs> exactly. Give me, put me in front of a camera. That's what I wanted. I knew it from the jump and someone should have listened to me. Not necessarily. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it is the reason why I find that story funny. And it's actually a memory that I remember pretty well is because I do think that that experience as a whole was actually really cool and validating in a lot of ways. Like yeah. if we had got to go to Town like every month or so, like maybe that might've been overkill, but we would have been exposed exactly mm-hmm. like you're talking about. I felt like that's the reason that experience was so cool is because it was like, oh, this is our this is our only thing we're going to get to do for the semester. Yeah. And it was really special. But you know what? I love that story so much because look at you now. You are hosting a podcast that's an incredible podcast. And that requires a lot of the I mean, that probably that, that job didn't probably exist back when you were nine. But Look at you now. Yeah, look at me now. I mean, I, and I am interested in media too, in yes. a way, in a way, like it's weird, like th- not that being my first aptitude test I ever took with like the questionnaire the, to tell place you in your job. But yeah, it's, it, I don't know. There's a lot of things to go from that experience. And I think it was really fun as a kid to experience, yeah. but also like reflecting back on kind of what, what the actual design behind it was. And yeah. And it's so interesting to think about, is a nine-year-old kid going to kind of get what we're doing here? Like mm-hmm. us adults can be in a room strategizing, thinking about, you know, this is going to mean this for this child. And then it might not, it might just be a funny story. It might just be like something they did in class that week or, yeah. or it could have that long lasting impact. And that's kind of the cool, I guess, potentials of being in the classroom, being in education is that you don't know what's going to stick with kids. You know, and I think we underestimate the capacity of kids. I truly hope that right now there's a nine-year-old who's maybe riding in the car with a parent and hearing this right now (laughs) and feeling inspired to become a podcast host. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, our our kids, our students, 
are you know high school, college students, adult learners, they're the future. And I think we would be doing ourselves a huge disservice to underestimate how powerful they are and yeah. how important those early experiences and exposures are. 100%. And I think this, I think this tees up great, like our, our next kind of conversation about what the consortium does. And I say, I, I want to just highlight how amazing this acronym is, the consortium. It's perfect because it stands for Tulsa Higher Education Consortium. It's perfect. I love it. Full stamp of approval from me. But <laughs> Dr. Lada, tell us about it. Thank you so much. Well, the Tulsa Higher Education Consortium is sort of a what and a who. So we'll start with the who. So the consortium is the seven Tulsa higher education institutions, including Langston University, Northeastern State University, OSU Tulsa, OU Tulsa, Rogers State University, TCC, and TU. You got them. All seven. I love it. All seven <laughs> and in alphabetical order in my mind. <laughs> and the consortium exists. So it it serves as an entity that helps those seven institutions work together, share research, share information, and ultimately support the higher ed experiences of students in the Tulsa area. So if you look at the Tulsa higher education ecosystem, I mean, gosh, it is so rich and vibrant. Langston University is the only HBCU in the state of Oklahoma. NSU and RSU are two regional institutions. OSU Tulsa, OU Tulsa, two research institutions. TCC, the largest community college in the state. And then the University of Tulsa is a private institution. So if a student in Tulsa has ambitions of going to a college or university, they have such an incredible list of options to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, and those are just the seven in the consortium. And those seven have been working together since 2017, 2018 to create seamless degrees, uh, degree pathways for students who um, want to start their degree at TCC and then transfer to a receiving institution. So the way that it kind of works is that Tulsa Community College offers the lower division coursework and then the other five other institutions offer the upper division. Actually, all six of them do. And then TU is the private institution. So students can go to TU for all four years. But if a student wants to get a degree at a public institution, they do start at TCC and then they transfer to one of those six other institutions. So the institutions are working so hard to create these seamless degrees where students can you know, start at TCC, transfer, and they don't lose any credit upon transfer. That's awesome. Which is enormously helpful, especially considering that Tulsa Achieves is a program that empowers students to get an associate's degree cost-free. And that's for Tulsa residents who have graduated from a, a Tulsa uh, high school. That program started, I think it started when I was in high school and I actually took some classes at TCC. And I remember awesome. being blown away that I could go and get a degree for free, uh, an associate's degree for free. And, and it's true. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so awesome. My, so my mom works at Tulsa Technology Center and she's been a high school counselor, senior. She worked 
predominantly with senior class. So she's very familiar with Tulsa Achieves. And, uh, and we talk, we talk, like have dinner conversation about like how cool it is that that's an offering of the city because it's something that really helps a lot of students in, in this area. I mean, just from non-traditional students to people that don't necessarily need to go to a four-year institution out of state to get that. The education is, I'm not going to say they're the same, but the, I will say that they are definitely, it's an option and it's, and it's a good option because there's high quality education to be had here um, at these institutions. And it's awesome that there's so many, the, the pathways that you're talking about, that seamless pathway of two years and then, and then that's two years of your life. I know 18 and 19 feel like the longest, most important two years of your life. And I, I think a lot of people would say that, but it's two years to get a class-free education, which is really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Too many people I know have been like, I wish I would have done Tulsa. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, gosh, if I could erase two years of student debt from my, yeah. from my, I didn't do Tulsa Achieves fully, but I took, I was a concurrent student in high school and I took concurrent classes. And mm. even that was a, an enormous, I was able to save money while working toward my degree and taking high school classes. And I know, you know, Tulsa Community College is expanding those programs through the EDGE programs, earn a degree, graduate early programs. So some really innovative things are happening. But really back, you know, in 2017, 2018, so you may have, have read about the Tulsa Transfer Project. And mm. that's what the consortium really started as was this initial work to create these seamless degrees where the seven institutions came together and they did some really deep reflective work to see how their um, systems and structures were supporting students who wanted to transfer and seeing what was working well and what wasn't working so well and mm -hmm. was an opportunity for change. And through that process, they built really strong relationships and some some incredible partnerships have emerged with all seven of those institutions. And what's really interesting, too, is when you look at other cities that are that have similar ecosystems to Tulsa, uh, higher ed ecosystems, that is, many of them have higher ed consortia. So the Tulsa Higher Ed Consortia Consortium is the only one of its kind in the state mm. of Oklahoma. But there are about 60 five others across the nation. And so we are part of a network of more consortia and learn from other innovative cities that are doing great work. That's awesome. It's so great to have a network and partners that are doing similar work in other areas to achieve the same goal. Mm -hmm. um, and I really liked what you said about like TCC being a very innovative institution because I, I think that that's right on the money with just a lot of their degree pathways, the Tulsa Chiefs program, obviously, and then they're an ecosystem partner of, of ours, kind of working on some really awesome stuff that I think is really going to serve Tulsans, um, especially Tulsans uh, that are interested in technology, too. So it's, we're really, we're really uh, big fans <laughs> of yeah. that. And it's, it's, it's great to hear that that work kind of blossomed from just a, just a project or just an idea or maybe just people sitting in a room. And now it's like, it's a lot, it's a lot of moving parts. It's, um, that's really serving the community, which is awesome. Yeah. As an organization, we serve our seven institutions as we call it the three C's, a convener. So bringing them together, breaking down some silos that traditionally exist between institutions, sharing research, sharing ideas, sharing best practices, and then, you know, sharing information for mm -hmm. transfer. 
And then we're also a communicator. So sharing out the good work. There's a lot happening in higher ed in our city. And yeah. it's so exciting to be able to share out all of the things that each of the seven institutions are working on or have on the horizon. New programs, new institutes, things like that. And then we serve as a connector, connecting higher ed with the city, with business and industry, um, through our affiliate members, the Tulsa Regional Chamber and the Broken Arrow Chamber. So really, we're in the, the business of, I think I said earlier, breaking down silos, but really opening up lines of communication and space to collaborate that haven't existed historically. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I think that really what that allows is for you to have a great understanding, hopefully through the, the collaboration and the partnership of what Tolson's need or to, what Tolson's want. And I, and I think that kind of, um, I, I I'm keep building in these segues, <laughs> but I, I definitely want that to be kind of something we talk about here with, um, you know, kind of understanding the student populations and, and the, and definitely the connections that you make at these organiz at these institutions. I'm sure that there have been glaring issues, I guess maybe is the right word, in education. And I would love to kind of hear what what which one shocks you the most. Yeah, just I'm I'm very curious, like kind of what stat shocks you or, or urges immediate action or kind of you don't necessarily have to reveal any strategy of your organization, but more like just maybe even I don't know. Now I'm overqualifying. <laughs> I would love yeah. your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mentioned the institutions coming together back in 2017, and there was a statistic that served as the impetus for that work. And it was a national statistic put out by the National Student Clearinghouse. So looking at students, so all of the students across the nation, about 80% of students intend to earn a bachelor's degree when they start a post-secondary degree program, whether mm -hmm. that's associates or bachelors. 25% of those students intend to transfer to a four-year college within five years. So there's pretty high intention um, if they started a community college. But what really served as the motivating sort of nexus of this work was that about you know 15 to 17% of students who transfer, then earn a bachelor's degree. So I applaud and commend the seven institutions in Tulsa for seeing that statistic, being aware of that, and then realizing, okay, we need to go to the drawing board and figure out how to align our systems so that transfer doesn't feel like such a disruption. That transfer feels truly more seamless. And students know when they finish their associates at TCC or they finish whatever coursework they're taking, who do they contact? Where do they go? What's the building? What does it look like to transfer to any of the received Langston, NSU, OSU, mm -hmm. OU, um, RSU, or TU and have a very clear map? And so you go to our website, um, you can actually see this illustrated. It's pretty amazing. On our homepage, we have three search portals. The first is you can search for any degree in Tulsa. You want to get a degree in communications, then you can search for it and find out what institution you could go to. But then there's another one, and that's transfer pathways. And the institutions have created just shy of 150 different pathways where students can transfer without losing credit. 
And you can actually search for different degrees and programs and see, okay, semester by semester, what does it look like for me to get a degree in broadcast journalism in Tulsa without mm. leaving Tulsa, without um, you know having to to go to a main campus or something like that. Again, 150, and and we started out back in 2017, 2018 with just above 20. So wow. an enormous amount of growth has been made, and creating those degrees has been a lot of work. But I I really applaud our institutions for working together. And sort of stepping outside of the traditional dynamic that exists between higher ed, especially in the Midwest where we're all about, you know, sports rivalries and things like that. Yeah. It's like competition is baked into that dynamic. The consortium kind of flies in the face of that dynamic and says, you know, what would be possible if we collaborated? Yeah. Like, can we not let sports like be a reason we don't support students, especially paying students, especially like all of this, I, I totally agree with what you're saying in that. Like it's it's wild that that's baked into that even the dynamic of probably the way the employees of either institution interact with each other because it's either boomer sooner or go cow, cowboys or whatever. And I'm like, what if I don't care? <laughs> I hate to be that person, but. Well, we will never make loyalties go away. And those are important. Sense of identity and yeah. belonging is really important. But, you know, sort of operate by this this phrase competition makes us faster but collaboration makes us better oh i like that that's yeah. awesome yeah. yeah and i and sure there's some sentiment behind what i just said since none of those institutions are my alma mater but i obviously have so many i think actually three of my four of my four parents all went to one of those schools yeah. um actually three of my four parents are all northeastern state graduates um wow which is cool. But I wanted to mention or kind of return to one of the things that you said, just talking about transferring. I think that this is such an interesting angle um, because the first things that came to my mind were one, like the circumstances for transferring are so different for every student. You might be transferring for a medical reason. You could be transferring for um, academic mismatch. And these are all things that I felt like I was encouraged to know and own. If what And what I mean by that is like, Whenever I got to school, advisors, even my, my mom, who I, I look at as an advisor for educational decisions and things like, and obviously all, a lot of things, but I thought about like specifically, I need to know what I want and I need to know what I, where I'm going to get what I want. And especially since uh, colleges cost a lot of money, presumably, like most of the time. And so it's kind of this weird dynamic or maybe even paradox of like the institution or you as, you as a student need to know exactly what you want to do. But then as soon as you under or come to some type of answer to that question, sometimes institutions make it so hard to leave. You're trapped either financially or, you know, it, it, the transfer process is not easy because all of your credits are going to go go away. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That's that, that's because you made a decision at the time that now you're being punished for. And I am so tired of being punished for systematic decisions like mm -hmm. and I don't know. Maybe this is a soapbox, but it just really feels like a huge um, win for our city that these pathways exist and someone actually cares about students is kind of how it feels. Yeah. You know, when the institutions did that deep dive into their transfer cultures to see if they were a really supportive transfer culture, there were some difficult findings realizing that there were some barriers that existed that didn't need to exist. Mm -hmm. And it was actually quite simple to 
to remove them. And all seven of our institutions have transfer offices or individuals that are designated to supporting students' journeys as they're transferring. TCC has a really active and and robust transfer office, and they have done so much work leading conversations about with students, with even, you know, whoever needs to be a part of the conversation about what that transfer process looks like and how to do it as as easily as possible with as few barriers in the way. And you know, what's interesting too, something that you said, Evan, that I think it needs to be considered is that when you look at the Tulsa population and you look at those individuals who are students in Tulsa, according to the census, there are 51% of students are considered traditional students. So that's between the ages of 18 and 24. Mm -hmm. And 49% are adult learners above the age of 24. And those two groups of individuals have very different needs, different motivations, different life circumstances. And so our institutions being able to be adaptable and supportive of whoever the student is that wants to get a degree or work toward a certification or a program, they, it's it's critical for them to be adaptable and to know who to call from a partner institution where the student may be interested in transferring. It's better for our city. Yeah. It's better for our institutions. And mo- most importantly, it's better for our students. Yeah. I mean, I, ju- I just love hearing that mostly because I, I truly do get frustrated with this societal pressure or whatever that a lot of people face that the United States of America and it is a paragon of education. Like we are where everyone goes to get educated because it's accessible. But then higher education feels the most inaccessible sometimes. Yeah. Uh, having navigated that system myself and seen my peers, I'm a little, a little fresh, <laughs> freshly yeah. wounded, you know, from my undergrad. It, it was just so disheartening to be, to be kind of fed this. This is how this system is, and you're your doors are wide open. You can explore all these paths, blah, blah, blah. And then when I got there, it was not like that. And maybe that's because there was a lot of things going on with, you know, jumping from Oklahoma to New Hampshire. There was a huge culture shock, lots of different things. And maybe my peers were feeling that as well. But like, like you just mentioned, the, the, the barriers that were there were so easily like it, it felt almost like it was so easy to just remove those barriers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if one person knew about it, it was like, oh, Okay, like we'll just get that and that and then no other student had to deal with it ever again. But that those couple that did face that barrier, they really struggled. And that and and the the identity of those students often follow a pattern. And that's what off often frustrated me too, is just yeah. seeing the same types of students facing the same types of uh, barriers and not seeing other people. Not that I want to see other people face challenges, but it's more like wh- where is this equality that yeah. Or equity, and which I unf- I don't know. We're going down a lot of different rabbit holes, or I feel like I'm going down a lot of different rabbit holes with this, just because I'm obviously very um, passionate yeah. about this. <laughs> no, I think it's so important, and I think you know, equity is actually one of the uh, four parts of our mission is is equitable access and opportunity for students, and recognizing that every student is a student with an experience and intersectionality of identities that make up who they are and is going to inform how their experience looks in higher ed. And I am hopeful having worked with our seven institutions and have seen 
how there's a, a consideration for who students are, what they bring to the space, and how to support them on their journey, making sure that there are as few exit ramps or like easy exit ramps and and paths to stay on yeah. the path toward getting a degree and have enough supports. So I think of, you know, I was in a meeting last week, first generation college students who have never navigated the system of higher education. It's it's a lot. It's no. there are a lot a lot there's a, a lot of jargon or tends to be a lot of jargon and it can feel really overwhelming to even just complete a FAFSA. And that's not even an application. That, and that college. is step one. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> wild. And so our institutions have, if you haven't heard of trio programming, you need to look into it because it is just phenomenal. But mm. TCC, NSU, Langston, and ever, you know, our our seven institutions have these programs to help demystify that process and eliminate the barriers to access. And as a consortium, we're hoping to curate all of those resources and host them on our website so students who want to get a degree can go to one website instead of seven. Mm -hmm. And they can link out to, if there's a real interest in attending Langston, they can see what programs that they can participate in and, um, but can start at sort of one hub rather than feeling overwhelmed by too many options. Yeah, rather than 15 that are all kind of different slices of the truth type of thing, yeah. which is so important. So I'm so glad that that resource, is, that resource exists. And I think kind of to piggyback off of this conversation, I think it's, I think it's important that this conversation, like the conversation I want to kind of talk about is the existence of higher education maybe as an institution and at least how as it exists in the United States there's a lot of and something that's a little bit more timely to kind of po politics and current events right now is just this concept of student debt and like or not the concept but i guess the existence of it and it's it's a really huge conversation and so i struggle with personally the idea of how can i be a proponent of higher education while also knowing that it indebts people thousands of dollars that they never can escape from for no reason. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and that's my personal opinion that it's for no reason because I don't necessarily, I, I truly don't think that the cost of education should come at $80,000 a year. Like, my God, like it, it just sounds absolutely ridiculous. But I think I would love to kind of hear, since I've already clearly shared my thoughts on this, <laughs> I would just love to hear kind of like what your thoughts are on that conundrum for, for me. Like, how can we support higher education? which is it's truly a, a, a full-time element of your job while also recognizing the damage that it can cause um, post-achievement? Mm -hmm. That is a big question to answer and one that I am still chasing answers for. Mm -hmm. But you're right. As a person who has multiple tens of thousands of student debt, and it's something that's on the top of my mind as well, I've thought about this a lot. And what is... I'm going to use a really education term, but like what is in my locus of control? Like mm -hmm. what can I do to address this problem that students are maybe graduating with thousands of dollars of debt? Obviously, the first answer is advocate for policy that would lighten the load and the financial burden for those students because sort of I guess graduation time just passed and it feels like a, a time that is full of so much hope and possibility and the sky's the limit, the world is your oyster, all of those <laughs> phrases, whatever. But th there's 
sort of now sort of a, a cloud that sometimes hangs over that, that I have to find a job that's going to take care of the debt that I just accrued. So I think if we take inventory of what programs exist in our city to preemptively help students think about debt and what it means to take on a student loan, the city of Tulsa and the mayor's office has the city's financial empowerment center that helps to educate individuals about you know, financial positions and, and even counseling to get out of debt. So that's one thing. Obviously, there's also Tulsa Achieves where Essentially, a student can get a four-year degree for the price of two if they graduate from a Tulsa high school and they are eligible for the Tulsa Chiefs funding. That's just such an enormous financial burden that doesn't exist. And then also, so the consortium has a portal, a search portal on our our homepage for Tulsa-specific scholarships. So students can see where they can apply for scholarships specific to Tulsa and and Tulsa area. And I think it, you know, we've a common theme in this conversation has been, you know, getting early exposure and, and experience with finances, I think, to working with high school counselors to counselors already do so much. So I'm just going to note that, that it is a job that is enormously <laughs> challenging. But as students are preparing for life outside of high school, once they graduate, um, I think it'd be beneficial for them to have some really good financial counseling. And I know wow. some different programs exist. And, you know, I our uh, state actually has a personal financial literacy requirement um, yes. in high school, which. I don't I don't know when they implemented that, but it was I had an interesting experience in high school with that course. You know, that's actually it's interesting that you say that because I, I've heard the same comment from folks that have taken that that course. I don't I think it might have been before my time or, they after make you, my time. or at least like on my high school. We took it freshman year, which seems like that's when it's the least applicable. Yeah. <laughs> and I, fi- I find that to be an issue, but it's also like, how are you going to force a senior that's so down with high school to sit in the class where they learn about, you know, the, the outcome is so needed, but the timing is off or some- something. But that's my personal reflection on that. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point because there's not a lot of life context to attach the concept exactly. to. Maybe investigating what uh, pro- what programs, what curriculum exists for students before they start acquiring that debt. But for those that already have it, I mean, I think pr- pursuing and, and making available accessible financial counseling, that's something that I feel like is a little more actionable. Yeah. It feels like a big problem that I can't quite solve, but I want to take the steps that I can to to make life a little easier for those who have debt. And then also something I want to applaud the institutions for, you know, there are students who have, are just shy maybe of like nine, 13 or nine, 12 credits away from getting a degree. And that four year, having that four year degree may mean a, an income jump like $20,000. It could something, you know, in certain professions, 
the difference between an associate's and a bachelor's degree makes an enormous amount of difference. And so employers who are willing to help their employees through tuition reimbursement or remission get those final credits to get the next credential could be deeply empowering for their financial situation. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think I think what you said, you said lots of amazing things, and I kind of want to recap them really fast. So one for, and th- this is really for me to hear, too, is that, and for listeners to hear as well, is that we're not necessarily voiceless or powerless if this doesn't affect us. Or if it does affect you and you're still out of the system, you're not in a higher education degree program or anything like that, you're just impacted financially, you still don't not have a voice. There, There's ways to advocate for yourself and for really just this system, I guess, that we're kind of all living in. Um, effective and well, effective policy is what we need. Mm-hmm. We need that in a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but we need effective policy is the is one of the first things that I heard. And then second thing, secondly, financial like solid financial advice, which I think is so right on the money. Just um, again, kind of kind of loops back to our first conversation about or the beginning of the conversation about like resources coming into the school, mm-hmm. and that feels like that feels like an area of innovation. Like how can we get we had an episode a couple of weeks ago with a financial advisor, Derek um, Alexander, who's amazing. Like, get Derek in to talk to some high schoolers. He's awesome. He would love to talk to people about that. Mm-hmm. But how do we create like that program and the infrastructure to support that? Like, all of those things are on, are are really important. And then, yeah, those those are the. I heard all of the things that you said, but now that I'm talking, I'm getting it all mumbled in my brain. But <laughs> those—that's what I heard, and I and I'm and I'm definitely gonna take that and and hear it and and process it and understand what that means for me instead of just being frustrated because that's where I tend to go with, especially this conversation when it just seems so trivial. It seems so, yeah, like America, like everyone is suffering. Not everyone is suffering, but every a lot of people are struggling in this thing that seems so actionable. Yeah. So, you know, you just did something that I think is really the key to all of it. You made some mental connections to folks that have expertise in these areas that maybe there's a need for those resources. And there's a lot of potential and opportunity, especially in Tulsa, where there's there's enormous amount of synergy. The work that you do at mm-hmm. in Tulsa, pairing those experts with the systems that need expertise. Yeah. And so I like that. I love it. Yeah, it's it's kind of related to like your dissertation in a way of too of like t- getting these two institutions to instead of exist siloed exist together and mutualistically. So Yeah, absolutely. Laura, it's been so great to have you on this episode. If any of our Grow With Us listeners want to learn more about the consortium or learn more about you, where can they find you? Absolutely. So our website is www.tulsahighered.com. And our email address is info at tulsahighered.com. We'd love to connect. Thank you for engaging in this conversation with me. Thank you, Evan. Thank you so much for being on this episode of Grow With Us, Laura. For our listeners of Grow With Us, I'd like to plug a few resources that might be helpful for you. If you would like to stay in touch with all of our featured jobs and opportunities at Tulsa, then please join our talent network. You can join at talent.intulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. By joining our talent network, you will get access to our newsletter where you can stay up to date with our latest career advice, featured opportunities with Intulsa partner companies, and our placement success stories. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. 
let us know what you think about how we are doing by rating and reviewing. Huge thank you to our editors at Rant9 Production and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Growing Things.